My brother Nicholas is a man of action and ideas, and sometimes I wonder if he was born in the wrong century or centuries before. He spent 31 years in the foreign service of the U.S. government and the intelligence community. He's a writer now, retired from the government and in corporate life, living in Europe. And he's our guest on the Chicago Way podcast. Nick has just written an outstanding piece for the American Conservative magazine under this title, Lessons from a Turkish Coup. The country that invented the deep state teaches us how it can be dealt with. And the parallels between Turkey and the United States are striking. Between Turkey going through coups, the deep state, the Kamalists there, and the United States now since the Trump years of the Russia collusion host, and perhaps before the Washington establishment becomes the American Kamalists. And if there's anyone who knows about the Kamalists in Turkey and the Kamalists in Washington and the deep state, it is Nicholas Spiridon Cass, my brother Nick. When we were young and working in the butcher shop of our family store, Nick was also working towards his black belt in Kyokushin Karate. He'd disappear into the meat cooler and throw left hooks at the hanging cattle, just like Rocky Balboa. And our dad hated that. Years later, he disappeared into his books and papers at Georgetown University. And then later, he'd disappear into Turkey, Syria, wherever. We didn't know. The U.S. government knew where he was, but we didn't know. And he never talked about his work. Our mom didn't like that because moms want to know everything. He's now retired, as I said, and can talk some, having served 31 years, mostly as Deputy Assistant Secretary of State, Director of Intelligence at the White House National Security Council, Deputy National Intelligence Office for Europe, and the National Intelligence Council, and at CIA. I've been to some of those secret award ceremonies where he's received the highest awards, but they didn't talk specifics and he didn't talk much about them either. But he can talk now. He's in the private sector now in international corporate affairs at the Alexandrian Group, headquartered near Bucharest, Romania. And he's our guest on the Chicago Way podcast. Jeff Carlin is here as always, co-host, executive producer at WGN Radio, master of sound, future physics teacher, my friend. And I'm John Cass, husband, father, Greek Orthodox Christian, editor-in-chief of your favorite website for common sense, John Cass News. And where are you with the elites and their Kamalists pulling the strings and you don't even feel where the strings are, but you can kind of just sense them tugging at you? You're on the Chicago Way podcast 
on WGN Plus. Look, the, the Chicago Way is a deep cultural phenomenon. It's the Chicago Way. The Chicago Way. That's the focus. In a tower by the river, there lived a man. There was a man who took a stand with pen and paper in his hand, defeating foes in every ward with a pen more mighty than the sword. No escape from his ink lasso in a tower by the river, Castle. Here's how you get him. He pulls a knife, you pull a gun. He sends one of yours to the hospital, you send one of his to the morgue. That's the Chicago way. I've known our next guest for more than 60 years. Oh my God. He is the, he was the, until his re- recent retirement, the America's preeminent expert on Turkey and the Aegean fluent in many languages and also a diplomat, respected, honored, and uh, diplomat who has received many awards for, from his country for, their, for his service. And also he used to pound, uh, pound the carcasses of uh, cattle that were hanging in my dad's butcher shop because he'd throw left hooks and break, try to break their ribs, just like Rocky. I don't know how he became the person he became, but I'm glad, and our country's glad that he did. He is Nicholas Spirit on Cass, my younger brother, Nick, whose article in the American Conservative is just astounding. Lessons from a Turkish coup. The country that invented the deep state teaches how it can be dealt with. Nick, welcome to the Chicago Way once again. Yeah, and uh, Thank you, John. Thank you, Jeff. It's great to be back. Really uh, enjoy being on the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, people like you when, liked it when you were on the last podcast, um, and they, they loved the photograph you sent in that we used. <laughs> yeah, that was cool. It was so like Lawrence of Lawrence of. I was Lawrence of Olivier. <laughs> I should wake up. There's a time difference. What? Yeah, yeah. We, we, we're, uh, Nick, where are we catching now? If you can um, let us know, or where roughly where you are in the world, because you're well traveled. Yes, I'm in a I'm in a village north of Bucharest right now, um, in a beautiful little place, uh, and uh, just enjoying the day as I uh, sit here with my dog at uh, my side and. Uh, uh, you know, the family all dispersed, the kids and uh, my wife are traveling, but I'll be joining them soon. Oh, I love it. Well, thanks for coming on. Cause it is John's right. It's, here. It, it's a great piece. I mean, it, there's a, a lot, as they like to say, there's a lot to unpack here, but yes. it really, you know, it, it highlights an area where you think people think all these deep state conspiracies or, or things like that may be just nonsense. It's like, oh, ah, you're, you're overplaying it or you're overworking it or you're overset, over, over you know, emphasizing it. But you draw out a lot of really interesting parallels to history yeah. that are parallel to everything now. But just the idea that, that things like, like coups, like people were actually very close to taking power from other countries and this country. And it just feels like 
everybody should read this to really understand what we're living through right now. Well, thank you. I really appreciate that. I wanted to try to write it in a way that if people were listening and reading it and taking it seriously, then um, I didn't want anything to get in the way and obscure that experience for them, because I I do think that people really need to start paying attention to this issue Mm -hmm. uh, in a big way. And, you know, um, it it is the case that, you know, many people just are interested more in in either promoting uh, this idea of a deep state or in dismissing it as conspiracy theory. And it always reminds me of that line in, I think it's Godfather too. When uh, you know Michael says, "Who's being naive?" K. I always think that's a good one because Michael, um, presidents and senators don't have people <laughs> killed. Exactly. Said America's exactly. first Karen. Right. America's first Karen. Yeah. Right. And so I didn't want to get into like the, uh, the polemics about it, but because the um, the situation, the historical record, and what you see with your own the evidence of your own eyes is standing enough, I think, and so. Um, I just want people to to really focus and pay attention because this is a a real problem for us going ahead. And uh, if we don't take care of it, it's going to get worse. And I think the what happened in Turkey uh, was a perfect illustration of how things can go. Uh, and I don't want that to happen. So it would be good if uh, people just settled down, took a breath, and uh, maybe uh, quit trying to uh, demonize and uh, ostracize half the country. Uh, because they didn't like the guy uh, who was the president. So in any event, that's what kind of uh, that was the situation that kind of was on my mind. But what compelled me to write it was really just the 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 parallel It was a very, very vivid parallel. And you started to see it emerge, uh, you know, a number of years ago. Um, So um, rather than just go on in a monologue, you know, I'll let you guys uh, talk about it a little bit. (laughs) No, no, it's uh, well, you made a decision to write uh, clearly and analytically about an important subject. And you did not want to get in the, uh, you didn't want to be on the list of guests on those uh, talk shows, either the left or the right, where the uh, moderator or host is braying like some jackass <laughs> conspiracy or coup or coup, you know, right. deep state, and they don't know what they're talking about. Right, exactly. There's many of them out there who, who want, who are just trying to drive the sheep into the chutes before slaughter. Right. It's the same yeah. thing that happens here, you know, in America all the time with yeah. politics. Well, I mean, you see that happening, and I, um, I guess perhaps we should probably um, start delving into the, the yes. topic at hand here. But I wrote this article um, on the 25th anniversary of a coup d'état in Turkey, uh, which is known as the February 28th process or the postmodern coup. Um, it was a formative uh, and seminal event in Turkish history, and it uh, was different from the normal or traditional military takeover putsch where they just drove tanks in the streets like they did previously in Turkey, in which they tried again in, in 2016, but um, was a much more subtle and behind-the-scenes orchestrated um, event. And it just was too eerily similar to some of the things that you saw in the United States uh, over the last six, uh, six or so years. Um, and I thought maybe if we really looked at it, we could see what was going on and, and maybe shed some light on it and, and some draw some lessons from it. I mean, I was just looking at some of the uh, media coverage of uh, President Trump's uh, immediate 
you know, sort of uh, the period right after he was inaugurated. And there were people talking about coups d'etat as a, as a real viable option. Yeah. I mean, yeah. so we think about that. Think about this in America that people were actually talking about that because they didn't like this guy. And, um, okay, fair enough. You don't want to start to get to that extreme where you start to talk about uh, saving, uh, you know, destroying democracy in order to save it. And there's too much of that going on. And I think people should pay attention to what this means. In the case of Turkey, um, it was a, a very uh, uh, an idiosyncratic and say non-conventional politician, a guy named Nejmetin Erbakan, who uh, was leading a pro-Islam party, which um, steadily and over time uh, built up strength and eventually emerged as a challenger to the establishment, the Turkish establishment, which was then dominated by what we would call the Kemalists, uh, a very, very secular secularist, very, very rigidly ideological uh, organization, uh, party, and uh, state apparatus. Um, and uh, they saw this guy as a threat, and then they tried to do everything they could to take him down, even if it meant um, sowing the, uh, the seeds for some real, uh, some, you know, some consequences down the road. And I think they, they, they did that. And uh, part of what you're seeing in Turkey uh, since then and, and today is a direct consequence of that event. So, People should be really care- careful about what they what they wish for and how they go about uh, trying to get rid of their political opponents because these do think these things do have implications and they do have uh, um, you know spillover effects that perhaps aren't on a, you know uh, that are not uh, easily accounted for cannot be easily predicted sure, or something yeah. to worry about collateral would, collateral yeah. damage right I mean geez, yes you're talking Absolutely. like yeah. and people talk about like you know it was mass destabilization. No, there, there are no happy coups, right? There are no good coups or that happened well. or, or well, there, was, there was one in the movie Zorro, I think, that was pretty good when, uh, you know, they all came back, all the, the rich lords uh, beat, you know, kicked out the uh, populace, and then that was a good coup as uh, they all hoisted their swords up at the, uh, and Tyrone Power was running around. But generally, no, Eddie, coups are not a good thing. What? Yeah, Basil <laughs> Rathbone dies in this, that one, unfortunately. Right, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Well, no. But anyway, but I did want to say, I did want to point out one thing. I mean, uh, the idea of the deep state is an old pedigree, and the importance of it uh, is that it, it is a concept that comes from Turkey, which is one, one of the reasons why we're talking about Turkey uh, so much here so far. But it's not just the question of the bureaucracy run amok. I mean, there's always a problem with any developed state, any administrative state of a bureaucracy mm-hmm. that is less than responsive to um, uh, political leaders. I mean, these are sort of, there are things that happen that are just a consequence of the kind of state that we live in. So that's problematic enough. But what we're talking about in the, ca- in the case of Turkey in those days were, were these illegal and unofficial networks involving the highest levels of society, the security services, the, uh, some of the politicians, the oligarchs, the media, the academic uh, infrastructure, everybody who was working almost in defiance of the political, um, in, indeed, in defiance of the legitimately elected political authorities in the country. And um, that takes the... Because, they loathe, because yeah. they loathe them. And why yeah, did they loathe them? Why was there such loathing between the uh, soft-handed bureaucrats and the generals and the education bureaucrats and all the rest the the all the politicians loyal to the regime yeah that we might call the establishment of today 
Well, the Kamalists were, were committed to a very, very radical secularist ideology and state in which they tried to basically create a new type of person in Turkey, a new Turk, you know, as right. the Turks would, would of the night of the, of the coup period would, would tell me Tektip bin San, you know, they all wanted to make one kind of man, kind of like a new Soviet man was basically yes. the idea. Right. And yeah. of course they had, uh, they despised uh, the Turkish um, religious and other traditions. They, you know, didn't even recognize who the Kurds were, for example, right. because these things were threats to the ascendancy of uh, the Kemalist regime and its ability to manipulate um, uh, power, money, etc., for their own ends. If you started to sort of grant that there were realities existing outside the parameters of your narrow ideological world worldview, you start to lose power, and they didn't want that, and so um, they set up this rather uh, repressive state. Uh, in 1960, there was a coup d'état, which uh, led to the hanging un, uh, of the prime minister. In 1970, people were 71. People were so spooked that a mere memorandum from the military was enough to bring the government down. In 1980, uh, the military took over directly uh, in the uh, wake of uh, left-right violence on the streets, which, of course, was probably uh, obviously very, very deeply rooted uh, that hadn't been solved and hadn't been addressed for the entire length of the uh, Kamalist Republic when it was founded in 1923. These things were allowed to fester and they emerged. And anarchy uh, is also a tool of... Of uh, course it is. And I, I'm sorry, Nick, but I'm going to draw some parallels over your no, objections have, here. No, I, why would I... Uh, the, uh, the parallels that I see, well, the problem I see first is yeah. uh, that you spent your your career, your life, more than 30 years in the, in the Department of State, and according to your biography uh, in the piece at the American Conservative, you also served at the CIA for a time. And uh, professionals, true professionals in the, in the field that, you're, that, you're, that you were in and are in, um, probably have difficulty like trying to express or let let their clients, meaning the government and our leaders, know what's going on when that when that has to be filtered through the very regime uh, types in this country that oppose any knowledge of it, that don't want it to be discussed, that the thing that shouldn't be mentioned. Yeah. So, for example, um, in Turkey. The rise of the Islamic, uh, I wouldn't say state, but the rise of the of, of Islamic feeling in the country after after having so long been repressed must have been a difficult issue for you personally to uh, translate to policymakers here when uh, any mention of Islam in the um in discussion would be, you know, cause them to cringe because we had demonized, uh, demonized Islam in in this country for political reasons and war reasons. Right. And uh, you're trying to, you're trying to say, Hey guys, can you just step out of your box and and listen to what I'm saying to you? (laughs) They don't want to hear it. Right. I mean, I I would put it um, just for the sake of this conversation, I'll, I'll, refrain from putting it into, um, you know, the sort of back and forth of my own experiences in Mm -hmm. that respect. 
But I'll say more broadly that when you um, adopt an ideological view of the world, uh, whether it's, you know, we're going to make the world safe for democracy or whether we're going to fly rainbow flags and that's going to be the most important uh, issue of the day. Yeah. It cannot help but constrain people's ability to perceive accurately what's really going on on the ground out there. We've talked about this before. How do you know what you know? Well, I mean, one of the things you really need to know is how to um, understand uh, the events you're seeing or experiencing or being, uh, you know, by the first hand or remotely in uh, primarily in the terms in which they are being played out there and not to apply your own ideological filter, which explains everything in ways that are palatable to the Washington, you know, the big Washington apparatus. Right. So because otherwise you're just going to be missing uh, the entire story. It's like looking for your keys uh, under the street, like because the lights there, but you really lost them in the alley in the back, right? It's right. not going to help you. It's actually going to be very, very harmful. And you see that um, all the time. I mean, people, uh, you know, uh, create, um, you know, they pick favorites. They say, you know, this, these are the good guys. These are the bad guys. These are the guys who are on our side. They promote our values, uh, even in the face of evidence that suggests that they don't. And uh, when you're in that kind of a situation, uh it, it can be really disastrous for foreign policy uh, and for the American people if indeed the policy is not grounded in, in a real appreciation of reality. Now, you know, realism itself can be an ideology. So I'm not, uh, you know, anything with an ism on it, frankly, <laughs> probably, probably be an ideology. So I try not to do that. So my, my approach to this is really simple. I try to go out like I would try to go out as I do now in my life uh, here understand what's going on in the in the language in the in terms of the language the culture the aspirations the hopes of the people who are out here who are the who are uh the 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 generators for whatever events are going on here understand those first and then try to convey those back to people who uh would be able to uh be responsible for making political decisions policy decisions now so it that has to be the case and if you're not doing that you're asking for a lot of trouble and i think we've uh had a number of uh, instances in the last 30, 40 years where that has been, we've we're paid the price for that. And I think it's time now as the world is changing and the, the structure of the you know, global, uh, you know, sort of uh, environment is changing that we need to be a little bit more amp, uh, uh, nimble. Um, we need to be a little bit more uh, proactive in terms of um, understanding what our own uh, core interests are and, uh, and having a real strategic sense, it's, and having strategic sense means having a sense of what the limitations are. You know, you can't do, if you don't have, if you think you have unlimited money and unlimited funds, there's no strategy, you just do everything, right? It was like, uh-huh. that's how Mayor Daly governed Chicago for a right. long time. Yeah, right? Right. So, Chicago, uh, right? But if you, but if you res- respect the fact that there are challenges and realities out there that put constraints on you, then you need to start thinking strategically about what your priorities are. And okay. it's high time we did that. But we are, um, we are talking. We are talking to Nick Nicholas Spirit on Cass. Nick Cass, my brother, a longtime thirty-plus year um, diplomat with the Department of State, involved in what we formally call the uh, intelligence community. And uh, Nick, I just have to tell you, I, I'm going to forward this piece of yours in the American Conservative to uh, Andrew McCarthy, who we had on a while back. Oh, good. And uh, 
I mentioned, I don't know where I got this idea, but I mentioned uh, to him that uh, we were talking about his book, Collateral Damage, right. uh, the, the, uh, the, um, uh, basically the, the, st- the deep state's reaction to President Trump. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mentioned the word, the phrase uh, American Kamalists. And, he, <laughs> and, and McCarthy was like, oh, I really like that. And I, I think I hope I said on, on the tape, uh, my, well, yes, my brother came up with it, or maybe I didn't because I don't know. You've written if, about it. Yes, I have written about it. I wonder where right. we get ideas, you know, maybe from talking <laughs> to smart people and, and playing them. Um, but uh, I am going to forward this, this to him, and I re- recommend all of you out there read uh, The American Conservative, which is actually quite a subversive magazine now yeah. <laughs> under Helen Andrews. It, it is just, I love it. And uh, I listed on my website, uh, John Cass News, is something I read all, constantly, and I do. And we're going to try to get a copy of it to reprint. I don't know. I have, I've emailed her and I've asked permission. So uh, we'll see. We'll see if we get that. But I have to now, I don't want to do a monologue. I just want to ask uh, my brother a question. When you see the, when you see the January 6th committee to bring it to, you know, what's going on today, when you see a committee of, no opposition, you know, there's usually we all committees in our Congress uh, would have uh, people on the one side and the other, one party and the other together discussing an issue. But in this one, basically, this is uh, just one sided. And with Adam Kinzinger yeah. and uh, what's her name? Uh, uh, the the uh, Oh, I almost I almost said the little uh, princess of. Halliburton, but yes, that is that is uh, Cheney, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, when I when you see the tears of uh, Kinsinger uh, dripping from his uh, face, I wonder: Do you ever what what's the what's your core feeling about it? Well, I find it um, uh, I, it's kind of revolting, and mm-hmm. and here's why: I mean, I think that. In a, if you were looking at this happening in Ruritania, right, and you saw exactly this kind of stuff happening mm-hmm. in Ruritania, you wouldn't have any illusions about what's going on. You would look at it and say, okay, this is how they're doing it. It's interesting that they don't have a uh, um, anybody on the committee who is actually challenging, uh, you know, the one the, tip, the single point of view. Maybe Freedom House or some other uh, NGO should look at that. And make a comment about what about what's happening in Ruritania, right? But uh, that doesn't happen. And I think the larger question is not that it uh, that people don't understand. I mean, and sometimes you know you you think you're in a position where you're like, no, I think it's just you know if all if all I have to do is explain this clearly and people will see, it's not about that anymore. I think we've got, gone beyond that. We're at the point of frontier warfare now, at least politically in the United States, and uh, people know that. Um, I suspect. Uh, that uh, this is very, very dubious, but they don't particularly care. And that is the big, the big problem, because yes. if you look at the, at the case I let out, laid out in Turkey, about Turkey, you know, you had this uh, coup d'etat in 1997. They brought down this government. They banned uh, the political leader. They kept him out of politics for the rest of his life. 
Um, they they banned uh, his associates. The guy who is now president uh, there, Recep Tayyip Erdogan, was mayor of Istanbul, and he was stripped of his office and kicked out of office, and you know was uh, banned from politics and blah blah blah. They closed the party. Um, the the problem is what was the effect? What was the effect of all that? Well, the effect of all that was to double have people double down rather than in, intimidate uh, his supporters that just taught them a real hard, fat, hard lesson, which was, this is the way it's going to happen here. So this is the way politics is going to be played. Then let's, we're going to do it this way. Right. You've, you've and referenced, so, you've referenced yeah, uh, frontier, frontier warfare. Yeah. Jeff, yeah. Jeff, Jeff just talked, uh, said the word vicious and uh, frontier warfare and vicious means when you, when one side takes out the tomahawks, yeah. Uh, the other side takes out the tomahawks. Right. And there's it's no. It's the opening line of this podcast, John. When he brings a gun, you bring a knife, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, exactly. it's, it's, it's scary. And you're right. I mean, I feel like one of the, one of the common threads among everything, everything left, right, center, is this idea that there are forces that are like pulling everybody, you know, to the far edges of everything yeah. and then amping them up. Just so they can turn around and, and, and attack this, the, essentially the center of this country, because it's not—I mean—they're not attacking the far right; they're attacking the center of this country. It, that's what the crazy part is, and it, and like you guys said, it, it's become normalized. Well, I, I, there's a couple of things. One, when okay, um, you know, I, I studied, uh, you know, taught karate for a number of years. As you guys know uh, tomahawks were not one of my uh, weapons, but, but <laughs> what I do know about them is that they're actually offensive weapons. You don't—it's not like you're fencing with them. And right. parrying and nice right posts and nice techniques. You're just basically mm-hmm. running up to a person and trying to be, you know, get that, bury that thing in there as quickly as you can. Okay. It's an aggressive, very, very violent, offensive weapon. And that's a good metaphor for the politics of the age. So I, I don't think, again, I think the problem is if we, if we're doing a stand back, look at it, you can say, yes, well, the extremes are now, you know, both operating this way and the, and the center is, is, um, you know, the, the suffering as a result. That probably is the case. But but I would say also that you really have to look at what who were the groups that were in power, how long they, they were doing this and whether or not uh, the uh, the expectation was that the people that they were, um, you know, kind of keeping down politically uh, were going to continue just sort of submitting for a while. And I think what you've seen in in the politics in America is a, is a big change on that. And it's, it's a partly the accompanied by the rise of populism, partly this sense that, that people aren't going to get a fair shake. I think what it's breeding is a sense that, okay, if you're going to, you know, do a February 28th process on me, just wait till we get in office and we're going to do the same to you and you yeah. can scream all you want about it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so is I think that, that is that not yeah. coming? Is that not coming? If we, well, it's already happened, I think. I no, mean, I mean, what I mean is uh, this attack, this constant attack by the by the uh, the American Kamalists on the Trump forces um, is not going to work out. I think well for the country because there's no uh, then the other side pulls out the tomahawks like Maguan in uh, in that movie uh, the Deerslayer. What was it? Right. Not, yeah, Last of the Mohicans. Last, Last of the Mohicans. Mohicans right. right? And, <laughs> And then you have the tomahawks out, and everybody's got tomahawks in their hands. Right. And then the the centrists, the so called centrists who played the game, 
wring their hands and weep and say, oh, my God, I didn't mean for this to happen. We didn't yeah, want this all, to happen. Right. Yes, yeah. you did. You allowed this to happen. You encouraged it. And now reap the benefits of your, you know, feast. And those are certainly, and that's certainly a, uh, a path that, that this could go down. And when I looked at the Turkey example, of course, you had the coup in 1997, which was extraordinarily ham-fisted, ham-handed. The media just claiming that, you know, these guys were going to launch an armed insurrection. They were theocrats. I mean, the parallels were just uh, shocking, actually. They leapt out at me so uh, clearly in that respect. Um, so there was a coup. It was orchestrated. Uh, the media was played a big role in setting the stage, telling people that they should be scared and all of that sort of thing. Uh, you know, obviously the bureaucrats, uh, the security, and other other uh, and other places had their say in terms of uh, leveraging their power to uh, condemn uh, via the media, but also uh, through the controlled judiciary that, um, you know, these people were, were going to be uh, punished for their, their sins of not going along with the Kamalist uh, viewpoint. So that happened. But um, a few years later, the situation uh, in Turkey had become so bad that the orchestrated governments, the governments who were allowed to, to uh, run the country after that, at least nominally, were such colossal failures that they'd started to discredit. They heaped discredit upon discredit. In other words, the February 28th process in in, in Turkey, in a country that was not uh, one that had been democratic from its inception, was learning about democracy. I mean, we talk in America about, you know, we are the great American experiment, right? Well, imagine a country like Turkey or, or um, any other country in, in that region where, you know, democracy is still uh, seen as, you know, something or was seen as something as, as an outside import uh, to the society, to the state, mm-hmm. a replacement of, you know, maybe God's law with uh, man-made law. These are serious issues for for any kind of civilization. And so it's an experiment there. And, th- and then people are taught, oh, uh, 1997, following on the heels of 1960, 1971, 1980, this is what you mean by democracy. Okay, then this is the way we're going to play it from now on. And so the damage was was really, really uh, incredible. But the AKP, uh, which was the successor to this Refah party that was run by uh, uh, Nejmet and Erbakan, they came back into power. They took advantage of the fact that the secularist, uh, ideologically secularist governments uh, had failed so catastrophically to uh, win an election in 2002. And at that point, you could have thought to yourself, well, Maybe the, uh, the Kabbalists will learn a lesson. They'll figure out, you know, this ultimately doesn't work. If we're right. going to pretend, if we're going to have a constitutional order that gives lip service to democracy, uh, then we can't really uh, just, you know, run roughshod over it. Uh, but that's not what happened. And so the pressure campaign started again on Erdogan this time, uh, including, you know, what was known as the judicial coup attempt. It was a military orchestrated uh, effort by the uh, Turkish Constitutional Court to outlaw uh, the AKP uh, back in 2008. There were a whole series of other things that in this piece, I noted that there were probably at least four military coups um, in Turkey, plus the failed putsch in 2016. The reason why I said at least four is because depending on the way, <laughs> the way you look at subsequent events, you could, you could uh, one would, might be able to argue that there were actually more um, sort of behind the scenes coups attempts going on. So it was a, uh, a real uh, kind of messy period, but it did teach uh, a whole generation of uh, Turkish activists, politicians, voters that uh, 
this is what they could expect uh, from the uh. from the from the establishment, and you know we're seeing the results of that obviously now. So we're in this weird period. I think we, you know, if, if you were to analogize, you know, the previous era in, in America to uh, the February twenty eighth process, we're now approaching an election where you're probably going to see the Republicans of uh, some sort come back in a big way in 2022, maybe in 2024, who knows a lot of times. Mm, yeah. and, then right, the going to be, right, and then the question is going to be what happens after that? Are we going to say, is the system going to say, okay, look, we have to bow to this reality. We don't like these deplorables, right. With their, uh, you know, uh, yeah. with their uh, strange ways out in, uh, you know, the middle of the country, but, in reality, Iowa, Iowa, yeah. and right. Central Illinois, and Indiana, right. in the and South, and in, in, in Turkey, it was also the the central hinterlands and the the southeast, and it's kind of geographically interesting the parallel there as well in the United States. So, um, it, people will have a choice. I mean, there has been a, the people have spoken. There is a decision that has been rendered. What are people going to do now? The problem that the Kamalists had in accepting that was because they were so ideologically committed. Uh, to a particular course of action, and not only ideologically, but their lives, their fortunes, their sacred honor, their status in society was was all linked up with the perpetuation of the status quo that was this Kamala status quo that they didn't want to let go. And um, as a result of that, you saw the kinds of behavior and activity that happened in Turkey after the AKP emerged and won uh, elections in 2002 and subsequently. And then, of course, uh, by uh, 2016, there was an open effort by uh, military coup d'etat effort that, uh, you know, backfired uh, spectacularly and led to a huge uh, purge on the other side. The government decided, okay, if this is the way you're doing it, this is what's going to happen now. um, And then you then you had military officers having to decide which side they were on. The, the duly elected side or the uh, Kamalist uh, regime waiting in waiting. Right. And, uh, and it became chaos and frightening to the American, to the, said the American <laughs> people, the Turkish people. Right. Yeah. I mean, it was like, I mean, the whole thing was uh, uh, a mess and uh, it was definitely avoidable. It didn't have to happen that way, but I think um, the, the unwillingness to, Learn the lessons of uh, the the unwillingness of the Kamalist establishment to to learn the lessons of the what uh, of their coup in 1997, and their unwillingness to accept that what you sow you reap. Um, uh, ultimately, I think led to precisely the, the outcomes that we that we have today. And I, what I find in America is that you're seeing a lot of people are are talking about not in the, in the Turkish sense. Again, it's not. It's, Oh, the Turks did this. We can do it. That's not right. right. The issue is the issue is uh, do things unfold in this way, and is there a way to to change it, perhaps in, in a less uh, you know more edifying uh, uh, way? And um, uh, you know, uh, but you're seeing now a lot of people are I think sharing a lot uh, of the point of view uh, that many of the supporters of uh, you know the then opposition in Turkey shared, uh, you know, amongst themselves and in, in their opposition to the establishment, which was, we're not going to get a fair shake. So, you know, mm-hmm. there'll be, you know, we're, you know, what's sauce for the goose is sauce for the gander. <laughs> and it's one thing in a country like Turkey, where I say the, the tradition, the democratic tradition was long, but also very, very problematic and troubling given the sort of civilizational differences between, you know, uh, 
you know, Western Europe, where democracy reemerged after a couple thousand years, and a country like Turkey, which had its own ancient, mm-hmm. very, very sophisticated, rich, uh, extraordinary, uh, and ancient uh, tradition of its own, culture and political traditions of its own. Uh, and then to consider how do we, you know, graft Amer- democracy on that, you can imagine the problem with that, right? So sure. yeah. that was a challenge. But the very fact that it's happening in the United States, or at least in some respects happening among elite elements in the United States is, is very troubling because it tells you how quickly you can burn through that crust of, uh, you know, democratic tradition to reveal the power hungry uh, bureaucrats underneath. And uh, I think we've seen enough of that. We certainly got had enough of that. When, uh, when you think about all the, the comments that various people made about treason and traitors and all of this kind of thing. Uh, in what we now know was uh, basically an ex- ex- uh, completely made up and trumped up um, uh, uh, accusations against uh, the president. So, you know, again, yeah. you don't have to, and it doesn't, it's not a question of whether or not you like a particular guy. It's a question of, right. man, why did this happen? So I tried to, when I wrote it, when I wrote the paper, I try, or the article, I tried to write it in a way such that people could get past the, that, uh, the, you know their who you know their own personal preferences, and just look at this analytically, like you would if you were looking at it abroad. Again, we talked a little bit about Ruritania, but if you're looking at a country abroad, you don't have you, you can't look at it. To do, you cannot do your job by looking at a a, a situation in, in a in a faraway country and say, you know, these are the guys I like, these are the guys I don't like. That's not right. the job of a person who's right. going to be doing the analysis. You know, what a policymaker does is, is something different, but what an analyst has to do is to find out what's going on on its own terms. And if you can't do that, you're, you're doomed. Yeah. If you can't do that, you're just a propagandist. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And like many journalists of today, I would have, I, I shudder to say say it. Yeah. Yeah, I shudder to say it, but I'm looking, I look at my Twitter feed and I see former colleagues, uh, clearly Jacobins, you know, saying things like, uh, all Republicans are fascists, and all uh, and all Republicans are, uh, particularly conservatives, should be purged. And I'm, I always think in in these terms that what happens not about me, but what happens when the tomahawk is in the other hand? Like, what's the consequence? Yeah. What What is the consequence of framing the issue in those terms? where you're basically um, taking half the country and telling them that they're the enemy. Yeah. You know? um, I mean, what are the, I mean, seriously, what do people expect? Be, yeah, only destabilizing over yeah. time. Right. I mean, it's like the most in, a colossally short-sighted um, and uh, foolish approach to governance or approach to politics even that I've ever seen. And, uh, Unless of course you, yeah. you, you're hoping for, uh, tomahawk frontier war throughout uh, Amer- the American political system. Wow, well, yeah, that's it. But exactly. Even, what's what's the the means? Is it are they justifying the ends there? I mean, they. Well, what, but what's the? But my question would be: to what end? Right. So, I mean, uh, you can do that. You can create instability. You the can, destruction you can do of that. the system. Right. If and you're so a if committed you, ideologue of the left, right. and you've just left the newspaper, and you're um, now you're free to give your own opinions. And you you begin to, uh, you know, pass out tomahawks. Well, the problem with the with the extreme left, which is not often uh, uh, analyzed as, as thoroughly as I would certainly like it, is that 
you know, you're right. The goal is not the particular policy that they may be pursuing, whether it's some sort of environmental this or that or the other thing. I mean, all of these things are debatable issues that could be uh, good, people of goodwill can disagree or agree on, on all of these policies. But I think the, 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 the real victory is the destruction and the dismantling of the apparatus of the current state. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you do that, then, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're in good position to be able to pick up, um, you know, and, and try to see what you can build out of that. I, we talked about this, I think, on one of the, um, our earlier uh, podcast conversations where yeah. I said I, I thought that the, the sort of woke people will ultimately fail in the sense that their policies will not gain traction, they will fail. And you're seeing actually now, I think a year or two on uh, a lot mm-hmm. of that happening in some of these areas where people are just becoming more and more aware of the absolute insanity that's being pushed as a matter of policy by some of these folks, <laughs> but they, but they could still win if they, if they destroy the, you know, if, if what they've done in the process is so discredited, uh, so discredit the old uh, understanding that, uh, you know, it's just a bunch of fragments lying on the ground. And then you have to retreat back to the monasteries of Ireland to sort of, uh, you know, <laughs> hang out. To to save the, to save the yeah, world. Right. Well, my, my fear and all that, and you kind of alluded to that, is that, that earlier that, that, that sure, that, that might be their goal and then what they, they hope they can, you know, oh, we're going to rebuild it better on the other side. That's great, but uh, they don't have a good track record as, of being uh, far-sighted on things like this. They're very nearsighted on everything, and it's it, it whatever the world may not be the way they want it is on the other side of destabilizing everything because uh, there are other powers at play in the world and people are you know other interests. So I fear that we're just going to be in a, in a tailspin and it just chaos for for a long time. If people don't wake up to the idea that that it's you know this is not a game you just play lightly. I mean, you, you, we're exactly. talking about society. We're talking about bedrock institutions, and it's uh, well. You're talking about you're talking about perceptions of reality, basic yeah. reality, and um, you know that's uh, it's. I mean, the thing. I mean, it's amazing how you have to be careful about what you say in various uh, you know places down in D.C. or Washington mm-hmm. or. What, you know the things that you have to assume, the things that people will tell you uh, about their own view, which is almost an assertion of power as opposed to like an effort to sort of talk about an issue. So, right. for example, you read some, some of these things. Hey, you read somebody is posting on their Twitter feed or LinkedIn their position on Clarence Thomas or whatever it is. Okay, fine, great. You know, mm-hmm. you can have a difference of opinion. But the the aggressiveness and the hostility with which it's um, couched suggests one that um, this is obviously deeply felt, almost a religious uh, sort of feeling, uh, whatever the issue is. But secondly, that they're not inviting you to say, "Well, you know, I have a little bit of a slightly different view." <laughs> you know, <laughs> they're not they're not saying that because they want you to weigh in and, and offer a counterpoint. What they want to do is is. Uh, take your counterpoint and uh, you know make it uh, you know hang it around your neck and make it very difficult for you to uh, to operate in a place like that. So you know we so we went we gone through a whole thing that was this whole uh, bit of cancel culture. Mm-hmm. And again, I think what you're seeing, um, at least when I look at American politics, I see increasingly people on the right are like, okay, cancel culture. I'm not going to be against that anymore. But what I'm going to do is start canceling you. Right. And 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 that's when it gets back to that whole uh, frontier warfare metaphor. That we were using yeah. Earlier. So we are in a, it's going to be a, a real challenge, I think, for a while. Nick, um, we 
would be remiss if we didn't ask you one final question, just an yeah. off topic. Yeah. And that is, um, you are now uh, in far away from, from home. You're, yeah. uh, you spent all your life far away from home. Now you're uh, on the edge of the East yeah. and the conflict in Ukraine. Right. Uh, what is going on with the refugees streaming over the border and what is happening there? How, what, how do you see it? Well, I mean, I could say like here in Romania, uh, the government has actually done a very, very good job working very, very hard to try to accommodate uh, like what I understand is like probably about a million or some refugees have, who have fled uh, from Ukraine into the country. And I was there not too long ago and saw uh, you know, the, the, the government's own efforts to, um, you know, uh, help these folks out. There were from uh, the Romanian Orthodox Church. There were people from uh, Israel, from Turkey, from Greece, from other places as well who were, lend, you know, pitching in uh, and lending a hand, trying to, to help people when they came across, give them something to eat, look at them, give them a quick medical sort of thing. Um so I think that that's um, been really remarkable, but I think that the, the longer this goes on, the potential for this overwhelming, whatever the resources are, is, is really great. And I've seen uh, what that looks like um, before. I remember 1990, of course, after the first Gulf War, yeah. uh, there was a huge uh, influx, massive refugee influx into Turkey of about 500,000 Kurds who did not have limos and did not have cars. They were just walking up the mountains and it was really, really a difficult thing. It, put, it was difficult for Turkey. It was difficult for, for the people there. It was just a, a real, you know, human uh, disaster. And so obviously the longer that goes on, that's a problem. There are a lot of people here who I would say the general attitude is that they, you know, very favorably inclined to the United States and very happy with their NATO membership, but also very, very worried lest uh, the mismanagement of this um, situation um, that becomes such a problem that uh, the war starts becoming uh, a direct factor on their borders. And so I see that a lot on the popular level, see that in other places as well. Um, so, you know, again, yes, it's great to be in NATO, but let's not have, uh, you don't see people out in Eastern Europe, at least in this part of Eastern Europe, say Southeastern Europe, uh, who are trying to pull the tail of the tiger, I think, uh, when I look further north, when you look uh, perhaps in uh, some of the other countries, in, uh, the Baltics and else, elsewhere, you're seeing some uh, tiger tail pulling, which I think is ill-advised and uh, very, very dangerous, particularly when you're talking about a, a, a Russia that has nuclear weapons. And despite the best uh, media spin uh, that had dominated the first hundred or so years of the or hundred or so uh, days of the war, they seem to be somewhat wider acknowledgement now of their uh, military success in the area. So, or at least in the eastern parts of Ukraine. So, uh, you know, uh, cooler heads, it would be better if people uh, adopted a cooler headed and more measured approach. And I think that that would be certainly the average person walking around the streets of Bucharest or in Sofia or places like that would appreciate that. The people of the world in areas like this uh, cannot cannot afford yes. to think like puppies. Americans, yeah. Americans with our wealth, and even though it's dwindling now, and our politics, which are tomahawk driven, uh, still think like puppies. But uh, the people of of the east of Romania, Poland, throughout the Baltics, 
cannot think like puppies. And just one final closing note with Nick here, so that all of you who listen to this podcast know, um, this is the kind of conversation I have with my brother often. Um, and uh, honored, honored to be a part of it. It's very fun. And, and, it's, uh, yeah, and, and as disjointed as, as it is, uh, as we all do, <laughs> it's kind of random. Yeah. Come on, we didn't even talk. Uh, we didn't even talk about you breaking the ribs of the cattle and dad coming into the cooler saying, Nick, stop it, damn it. Don't yeah. hit the beef, you know? <laughs> And, so, I, and I uh, said something like, I can't haul meat no more. Something like that. Like Polly and, and Rocky. <laughs> <laughs> I can't haul meat no more. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Nicholas Cass, Nicholas right. Spirit on Cass of the American Conservative. And yeah, check it out. Check it out and uh, subscribe to it. And I do. And uh, it is a fascinating magazine. Now that you're now that your ideas have been cleared by the government <laughs> and vetted because we have to be responsible uh, citizens, uh, I wonder if you'll come back and we can talk about uh, other things like uh, the Orthodox movement in Romania trying to help on the edge of the border and other things that of, may be of interest to the people be- of Chicago. I think that would be, I would love to do that anytime you want to have me. I would just say um, that uh, as a former government official, you're not, you're, you're not vetted in the sense that people say, oh, they, they like this particular point of view. Or not. Oh, no. It's no. more, you know, helping you so that you don't, you know, inadvertently say something you, you ought not to. Because, uh, you know, as Constance uh, Bonacieux told uh, D'Artagnan many, uh, you know, in the, <laughs> in the, you know, Three Musketeers, Ask me my secrets, I can tell you. Ask me the queens, those aren't mine to give, right? (laughs) Because the world is Dumas. You know, the world is Dumas. And you still, okay, everybody, you still, Nick, just acknowledge that you stole the book 20 years after and took it for your own library. Oh, my God. Oh, my. We're still going to have this thing? Yes, we'll 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 never stop having it. Oh my God. No, John, I cannot. I cannot. <laughs> I love I cannot it. Not top of that. Anyway. Brothers fighting. Yeah, so good. Nick. Thanks, guys. Thanks yeah, for thanks, being Nick. a guest here. Thank thanks, you, sir. Hi, Nick. Thanks. Love you, man. Love thanks, you, Adam. Love you too. Thanks, guys. For Nicholas Spirit on Cass, my brother, longtime 30 plus year veteran of the State Department and intelligence community, a serious man who's written a serious piece, Lessons from a Turkish Coup, the country that invented the deep state, teaches us how it can be dealt with in American conservative magazine. And for Jeff Carlin, my friend, Nick's friend, executive producer, WGN Radio, now becoming a future physics teacher to teach the the people, the young people of of the city and the region, the secrets of the universe. That's not too, too ambitious. And for me, John Cass, husband, father, Greek Orthodox Christian, editor-in-chief of johncassnews.com. Please subscribe. 
And after all, we are not communists, so you know, I expect you to pay something. <laughs> and and join us again, won't you, next time for another edition of the Chicago Way podcast on WGN Plus. Cool. All right, man. Buddy. Sweet. All right. So you need the the mono you know, uh, in a, in a yeah. couple what? You want you're gonna post Tuesday morning, so you need it Monday. Right? Okay. Yeah, yeah, money is good. All right. Yeah, if you get it to me, great. I, I, we missed the window of uh, posting the last column on uh, the website. Mm-hmm. I'll try to post it today. I, no, I'll, the next opportunity is uh, Monday for Tuesday, but you're going to have the other one up. I don't know what to do. Well, I mean, I can, I can, we can push Nick back to, to, uh, you know, to Thursday. To to make it like Thursday for Friday, I can just. All right. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right, buddy. Cool. What are you guys doing on the fourth with your dad? Anything? Uh, we're taking. Well, we're not doing anything tomorrow, uh, but today we're taking my dad to. Uh, oh, you said the the fight yeah, for drama. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's a big deal in in Ontario. You know that is it. Oh my God! They they have uh, like competition. They're crazy. It's like a <laughs> a crazy competition. Well, that's. I mean, this is this is pretty intense, and they they yeah. all around the country. It's it's just brass, so it's bra- drum and brass. So it's um, no no um, percussion. Yeah, well, they have drums, but they have cymbals, and they have oh. but the horns, but they're not like fluted horns. So like you can't, you're not playing like it's not like a trumpet. It's like a, it's an actual bugle. So it's drum and bugle core. Where's the uh, Piccolo, <laughs> and uh, they, uh, I don't know if they have a piccolo. Yeah. All right, buddy. Well, right. good luck with your pigs. <laughs> I was just skimming that article. That looks great. Well, there's a way to cook hot dog. You know, yeah, I, I saw that. I there's saw a it. deeper, deeper meaning in all that. But I, right. you know, Regina asked for the. Oh, we got to do that because you'll see uh, if you skim. There's a picture of Joseph's <laughs> finest meats. I see, I see. So, you know, just get, wetting their appetite for <laughs> us. Um, anyway, so, yeah. Cool. All right, All right. Well, enjoy. And, Thanks. Uh, yeah. Thank you. See you, buddy. Bye. Bye.